James chapter 1, okay? So James chapter 1 is where we're at. We're going to look at the first four verses of James chapter 1 here this morning, okay? So the first four verses of James chapter 1 this morning. If you'd like to stand while I read our text, you, are, you can. If, you, if you're not able to, you don't want to, that's fine. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Father, we thank you for your word, and God, we ask that you would enable us, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to face trials, to face suffering, to face difficulty in this way. God, enable us to to count it all joy. God, enable us to to see our our, our difficulties and our our troubles in the context of Jesus' own suffering and in the context of what he's doing in us. God, I, I pray that you'd help those that are struggling today. God, help those that are suffering today. Be near to them. Father, draw men to yourself today. Draw women to yourself. Draw students to yourself. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so we are talking about a subject that nobody likes, okay? Nobody likes this. I don't like this. You don't like this. Nobody likes this. Um, James didn't like this. Jesus didn't like this. And that's the subject of trials, right? So trials are times when you are tested, okay? That's really what that word means, when, when you're tested. So it could be anything from suffering to, to really, really, James doesn't, doesn't even make it specific. If, you, if you'll notice, sometimes in the Bible, we, we, we know that there's like a context or something going on in the background that the Bible writer is writing about. James is really specific here. He says, count all joy, my brothers, when you, fall, when you meet various trials, trials of various kinds. So really, he wants us to, to, to see this passage in view of all of our trials, all right? So various kinds, anything from financial loss to physical illness to being slandered or attacked or persecuted or death of a loved one or poverty or injustice or betrayal or being stolen from or being cheated or being reviled or sleep deprived, you know, any, any of those and so much more, anything that tests our faith, okay? And what James is going to ask us to do this morning is he's going to ask us to look at those trials in view of what God is doing in us and in the world and to be able to count that as joy, okay? Now, we're going to talk about all that in just a minute. Before we get there, though, there's something we need to do. I think it's something the Bible commands us to do. I think the Bible commands us anytime we're talking about our own suffering, okay? Anytime we're talking about our own struggle, our own trial, our own difficulty, our own painful thing in life, you, you know what we ought to do? We ought to, in the context of our own struggle, we ought to frame that in the context of Jesus' own suffering. Do you see what I'm saying? Whenever you look at your own suffering, you ought to first look at Jesus' suffering. Okay, I think the Bible tells us to do that. So, for instance, in Romans 12, here's kind of a cool thing. Go back one page. It's one page in my Bible. Anyway, go back one page. Romans chapter, why did I say Romans? Hebrews. You're like, that's not Romans. Hebrews, Hebrews, go back one page to Hebrews 12, right? Now, listen what it says to do. Verse 1 talks about 
We're running the race with endurance. And then verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus. Okay, look to Jesus, all right? The founder and perfecter of, a, of our faith, who for the joy, there's that joy, James is going to talk about that, that was before him, that was set before him, he endured the cross. Okay, no greater suffering than that right there. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the same, and is seated at the right end of the throne of God. Look at the next verse. Consider him. That's what James told you to do. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, let's go back to the book of James. Now, let's go to the next book, all right? We're staying real close, aren't we? So, so the next book, 1 Peter, says essentially the same thing. In chapter 2, verse 20, it tells us, for what credit is it? When you sin and are beaten for it, that you endure. But if when you, are, when you do good, okay, so you're doing good things, you're living a good life, you're, you're trying to please Jesus, and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Okay, and then it gives you some specifics. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, what did both those passages tell us to do? In the context of your own endurance, your own struggle, your own suffering, your own pain, in the context of that, it said you should consider Jesus, all right? So, so here's, here's what I'm telling you we ought always to do. Anytime we are talking about our own struggle and our own suffering, we ought to frame that with the suffering of Jesus. The suffering of Jesus ought to be the backdrop. It ought always be in the background of our own suffering. So when we're, we're thinking of our own struggles, we ought to remember, we ought to remember what Isaiah the prophet wrote 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Jesus' own suffering. In Isaiah 53, verse four, it says, surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted for he was Pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. Folks, it is an incredible thing to me that we have a God who suffered. Isn't that incredible? That the God of the universe steps out of heaven into our broken world, the world that we broke, and he enters into our suffering. He's crushed for us. He's broken for us. He's beaten. He's spat upon. He's, he's mocked. He's tortured on my behalf. The God of this universe was flogged. His back and his sides were mangled by the Roman soldiers. He, he, he was nailed to a cross. He was publicly humiliated. He hung there suffocating for six hours in order to pay the penalty for my sin. So whenever I think about my hard times, okay, I'm not saying they're not hard. I'm not saying your hard times aren't hard. Man, the Bible doesn't pull any punches on we are going to face suffering, okay? But when we think about that suffering, it should be of great encouragement that the God that we serve stepped out of the heavens voluntarily and entered into our suffering. And think about what was accomplished. His suffering was not for nothing, was it? No, no, not at all. In fact, what the Bible tells us is that his suffering accomplished my salvation. His suffering accomplished my redemption, my justification before God. With his suffering, he paid the penalty for my sin and your sin if you'll repent and come to him. Through his suffering, he paid for my adoption into the family of God and my future resurrection into eternity with fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Folks, that's the framing of my own suffering. 
So when I think about my physical ailments, when I think about the hard things that I face, when I think about being, being unjustly accused of something or being, being reviled or being slandered, when I think about financial pressures or economic you know, poverty, when I think about all of those, I should do exactly what the Bible tells me to and think about them in the context that we serve a suffering God, that God himself entered into our own sufferings. Now, do you ever wish you could change a word in the Bible? You shouldn't do that, by the way. That's bad, okay? It's an inspired word of God. But if I could change a word, I would want to change when to if, okay? So if I could, now, I can't, and I shouldn't, and it's wrong to. But, but in verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Can you see why I don't like when? You see, if it was if, I could do what? I could hope that maybe it wouldn't happen, Right? But he says it's when, okay? So James says when you, when you meet trials of various kinds, okay? So 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we are going to face, we're going to meet struggles and hardships and, and, of all different kinds, all right? And, and listen, when, Paul, when, when, when James says in verse 2, Count it all joy when you meet those trials, he is not saying those trials are joy, okay? I, I don't want you to make that mistake because some of you have had terrible things happen in your life, and I don't want you to think the Bible is saying, hey, those are joy, you know? Like, like they're not joy. They're, they're, they're terrible. They're hardship. They're, they're painful. They're suffering, okay? They're frustrating. They're wearying. J- James is not saying they are joy. He is saying count it all joy, all right? Now, what, what does that mean to count something as joy? Well, the word count means to, to lead, to, to consider, to, to guide, to govern, to regard. In other words, what James is saying is, is, is you have this painful thing in your life, and he says, I want you to lead your mind, lead your heart, lead, lead your, your emotions to, to consider, to count this thing, this painful thing to be joy in view of, here, here's, here's where it comes, in view of what Christ is going to do, okay? Who he is, what he has done, and what he's going to do. So in other words, the Bible's not saying those painful things are joy. In fact, if they were joy, we wouldn't have to count it all joy, okay? I don't need to tell you here in a couple weeks when you go to Thanksgiving that you ought to be happy about eating that great big feast, okay? Like, like nobody has to do that, right? You don't have to sit there and be like, this is so terrible. I got to count it all joy, you know, to eat three helpings of pumpkin pie. You don't have to do that. You know, when OU pulled it out last night against Baylor, those of you who are OU fans, you didn't have to... You didn't have to try to struggle to count it all joy that you, you squeaked it by, right? No, you, you, you automatically, those are automatically things you can be joyful about. James is talking about when you have bad things, when you have hurtful things, when you have hard things in front of you, he's saying you, you ought to be able to count that all joy. How do we do that? We do that by, it's really by an act of valuing and appraising something in the trial, okay? So, so basically what James is saying is you can look to who Jesus is, to what he's done, and to what he will do, and what he's doing through the trial, and you can take all of that and you can move your mind to be joyful in the middle of that trial. That sounds like a real complicated thing, doesn't it? That sounds like a hard thing. It's not actually a hard thing. I, I know it's not a hard thing because you and I do it in all kinds of other areas of our life, and we don't even think about it. Okay, think about all the different areas of your life where you have something difficult, you have something hard, and because of the benefit that you believe you're going to receive, you are happy about that hard thing. How would you like some examples? Here we go. Ready? 
I see people all the time pulling into Irwin's and McKay Ford's, and they, they, they look at colors, and they, they do the scratch and sniff, and, you know, they, they do all that, and they pick something out, and they go in that office. You know, I've ever actually never been in there. I've never been in that situation. I've actually never bought a car from a car dealer. Isn't that strange? I was thinking about that the other day, but I, I've seen it on TV and stuff, and I've watched people, right? So they go in that office, right? And then and they sign those papers. You know what those papers say? Those papers say your account's going to be debited every month for five years. And depending on which vehicle you picked out, it could be, it could be thousands of dollars, okay? Now, if you told me this morning, hey, Jason, for the next five years, every month, your account's going to be debited thousands of dollars, I would cry, okay? <laughs> like, I would. I would cry. That'd be a sad thing. That's terrible, right? Every, every month. Thousand, 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 man, that's sad. Have you seen those folks when they drive out of there? They are smiling ear to ear, right? Instagram, hashtag, new ride, right? They're smiling. They're happy. Why? Because they've done this thing that I'm telling you James is telling us to do. They, they have, they've considered the value of having that vehicle to be worth the pain of the payments, right? That's what they've done. We do this all the time. I was at the gym the other day, and I, I saw this strange thing. It's a thing that I bet James could have never fathomed would happen, okay? So people buy a membership to a gym, okay? They buy a membership to a gym, and they go in there, and they do hard things. They do things that make them hurt and make them feel old, and their knees are snap, crackling, and popping, you know? And they're, they're pushing their body to exhaustion, and they're, they're working so hard they have a hard time getting out of bed. And then you know what? They pay more money. They pay more money. This thing that James could never have fathomed. They pay more money to hire a guy or a gal to yell at them, Okay? They pay more money. Like, they're already hurting. They're already crippling around, can't make it up the stairs at night because they've pushed their body so hard. And then they hire somebody to yell at them to when they get to the point of exhaustion, feel like you're going to have a heart attack, he makes them go harder. And you know what they do? The end of the workout, they're smiling. What a great workout. You know what they did? Exactly what we're talking about. They counted all joy, right? They said the benefit of whatever, I don't know, being in shape or being, you know, fit or looking a certain way or losing weight, it is worth this pain. And I'm willing to count it all joy. How about some more serious ones? How about we get a lot of foster parent and adoptive parents in, in, in our church. You know, think about, think about that process that happens. You know, I was thinking about we, we got a call at 4 p.m. one night. And uh, never considered it before, really. Uh, didn't think we could do it because of our house and as many kids we have. We get a call and say, yeah, we, we need this. We get a call and, and Dwayne and Shasta, they know this. Man, immediately, you know what you're facing? You're facing a really hard thing. Like, like, like immediately, you're, you're being asked to take on enormous responsibility with an unknown amount of obstacle and difficulty and struggle and the real possibility that this thing will end in terrible loss. But I remember I remember sneaking in the bedroom that night, looking at my wife, rocking that little boy. You know what she was doing? Counting it all joy. She was counting it all joy. Even though we had no idea how it was going to end, no idea what struggles or obstacles were ahead, but here's what we do. In our, see, we do this automatically in our minds many times. We say the value of that little guy being loved, if even only for tonight, 
the value of praying over that little one and meeting his needs and giving him a safe place to sleep, we say that eclipses whatever hard's going to come. See, we do this all the time. We had church members this week. They drove two hours, checked themselves into a hospital, paid a big bill, and signed papers that said somebody could take a knife and cut them open, take things out, you know, or put things in, depending on what kind of procedure you had, right? And they were happy to be able to get it done. Why? You see what I'm saying? Like, like this is not, like what, I know what James is telling us to do here. Count all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. I know that sounds as weird as weird can be, but what I'm telling you is that we already have the mechanism to do that. What basically James is saying is, is that you can consider the benefit of what Christ is doing through the hard things in your life. You can consider that and you can come back and count your trial to be joy. So essentially what he's saying in the illustration, or what, what, what people did in the illustrations that we talked about was they said the SUV is worth the payment, the child is worth the struggle, the fit body is worth the pain, and the new ACL is worth the knee injury. You know, that, that, that's, that's what people automatically say. What James is saying is that Jesus, getting more of Jesus, is worth the suffering. I know not everybody believes that. I, I, I'm aware of that. I think everybody probably believes about the surgery and some people believe about a new car, which is, I don't know, that's up to you, you know. Um, I don't know if you believe about, about the foster kid, but he, here's the deal. I know not everybody believes that about Jesus. I know not everybody believes that Jesus is the treasure worth giving everything for. I know not everybody, everybody believes that, that Jesus is worth it, that he's worth whatever we must endure to have more of him. But let me tell you what, Men, there were people in this Bible that believed it. Let me, let me read you some of them, okay? Philippians chapter three, verse seven and eight. Man, I, I love the way Paul talks here. Listen, listen to him. Paul says, whatever gain I had, this is Philippians 3, 7, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Did you hear that? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, Paul is able to say, man, Jesus is so worth it that no matter what I've got to lose to have him, I count it as joy. He said a similar thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 17 and 18, we'll look at this a couple times actually in this sermon. He said in verse 17, for this slight, light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul's looking at, at the trials in his life and they were huge. And he's saying this is light and momentary because it is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory. You see, Paul was convinced. I want you to be convinced. James is convinced that we are able to consider it all joy when we fall into various trials. Now, what, what, what benefit does James talk about? Let's, 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 let's cruise through that, okay? So look in James 1, all right? So James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know, okay? So here, here's, here's the way this works. It's by knowing, it's by believing something about those trials and something about Jesus and something about what God's doing. Okay, it's for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, all right? So let's stop right there. The first thing he says is, is we can be joyful in trials because we know that God is using those trials to produce endurance, steadfastness. It's a word that means that you have the ability 
ability to hold up, to hold up and to hold on. And, 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 and James is saying, man, that's what God does through trials. Now, here's, here's the funny thing. I think a lot of us would think that actually the opposite is true. That actually trials are the thing that holds us back. I, I hear people talk that way. Like, well, man, I'd, I'd, I'd be super Christian. I'd, I'd, I'd really believe. I'd really, I'd really pray. I'd really, I'd really run hard after God if it wasn't for all these trials. Actually, the Bible says the opposite of that. Okay, now, I, I will agree with you in the sense that Jesus did say that there is a false kind of faith, a not genuine faith that, that trials will expose. Okay, do you remember the parable of the soils? That's where, where Jesus taught that parable about, about the, the different kinds of hearts. There's some hearts that are, are hard, and when the seed of the word falls on them, man, that, it doesn't even sink in. There are some hearts that are weedy, and the seed of the word falls in the, in the weeds, and, and, and it can't ever develop, it can't ever come up, it can't ever flourish because the weeds choke it out, and there's some, some soil that falls on the good ground. But do you, remember the, do you remember the rocky ground? He said there's some people's hearts that are shallow, Okay, and then what happens is, if we go to Matthew, I can show you this, Matthew 13, 21. He says, what happens is the seed falls on the shallowness of a heart and immediately it's, it's yes, I want you, Jesus. Yes, I'm in. I want to be a Christian. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be in Bible study. I'm going to, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to obey him, okay? But then look what happens. In Matthew 13, 21, it says, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. All right, so, so there is a type of faith, but it's not real faith. There's a, there's a type of faith that's, that's not genuine. And you know how you know it's not genuine? Because it didn't persevere. You know what trials did? Whenever that person ran across hard times, they just fell away. Because they didn't really believe. Okay, but what James is saying is that when you truly believe, then you're going to face trials. And then you know what those trials are going to do? They are going to produce strength in you. They're going to produce, a, a, they're going to exercise muscles in your faith that have never been exercised before, if you will. Go back to the gym membership idea. You know, they're going to exercise faith muscles in you that are going to make you stronger. Okay, so here's kind of the sequence. Here's how it goes, all right? So you're following Jesus, okay? You've got faith, and then you hit a trial, all right? And here's what James is saying. Trust in Christ in that trial. It's going to force you to trust him in new ways. It's going to force you to trust him in ways that you haven't trusted him before. And that's going to make you stronger. It's going to make your faith stronger. It's going to make you cherish Jesus more. It's going to make you learn to rely on him in deeper ways. And your faith is going to be strengthened. And you're going to be able to endure even greater trials. You'd like a case study, wouldn't you? You'd like to see this in real life. Okay, I'm going to show it to you. Ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So here's what Paul said about himself. Ready? 2 Corinthians 1.8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Anybody ever been there? Utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we had felt that we'd received the sentence of death. But, okay, notice what happens here. What, what happened when Paul went through a terrible trial? He, he said things were so bad, he despaired of life. What did he do? he just fall away. Man, I'm enough of this Jesus stuff. I'm going to buy a little snow cone shack on the Mediterranean, just quit all this gospel stuff. Is that what happened to Paul? He, he, he was really down here. He was really crushed. Notice, verse 8, ready? But that was to make us rely not on, I'm sorry, that's 9. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So what happened to Paul? Man, that trial caused him to rely on God in deeper ways. 
What happened with that? Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will, notice where Paul says, he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. You see what happened with Paul? His faith was actually strengthened to the point that his hope grew, to the point that he could look ahead in his life and say, I don't care what we're going to face ahead, God will deliver us again. God delivered us back here. That, that so strengthened me, that so established me, that I know that God will deliver us again. All right, so, so here, here's, here's what James is saying. James is saying we can have joy in our trials. We can count it all joy when we face trials because we know that God is using those trials to enable us to know God better, to trust God better, to cherish God better so that we exercise muscles in our faith that we never had before and we end up being stronger in steadfast faith than we were before. Now, where does that lead to? Let's keep reading. Okay, ready? Verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All right, he says three things there. He says, if, if, you, if you continue steadfastly trusting Christ through trials, it will make you perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when you, when you hear the word perfect, don't think without sin, because that ain't happening until Jesus comes back, okay? First John 1, 8 tells us that. It's not going to happen, all right? The word perfect there, actually, when you look at it in the Greek, it can be translated grown up. It can be translated mature. In other words, you're who you're supposed to be, Okay? So, so Paul says, whenever you, whenever you endure trials and you hold on to Jesus and you exercise these faith muscles you haven't exercised before, it says you become mature. You become grown up in the faith. And then he says you become complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, Here's the reality that James is pointing out. All of us have gaps in our faith. All of us have, have lack. We, we lack things, right? So when you think about what, what the fruit of the Spirit, what, what's the Holy Spirit wanting to do in our lives? Galatians says he wants to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Anybody have any gaps there? Anybody, 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 would anybody say, you know what? I am not the most patient person, okay? You may not say that, but I know some of you, and I would say that about you, okay? All right? So, so right, we have gaps, right? And so, so would you believe that some people have, have a gap? They, they need patience. So you know what God does? God will often make you wait on something, and it's a trial. Like, we're kind of fast food Christians. We want it now, don't we? Like, I, like I ordered it. God, I prayed about it yesterday. Where is it, right? And you know what God will often do? He will often make us wait. You know why? Because he's developing. He's developing it in us, right? Like we, we lack something, and he's supplying that through trials. Maybe you lack compassion. Man, I, I'm telling you, I've, I've met folks who did not have compassion for certain people, who did not have compassion for certain groups of people or certain types of people, people in certain sins. And man, I, I, I don't rejoice in this at all. I, I don't think God does. But time and time again, I've seen those same folks hit a trial that was very much related to the thing they didn't have compassion for. And you know what happens almost always? They begin to see that differently. God begins to complete that in them. Maybe you lack self-control. You know, self-control is that ability to say no to our flesh, you know, to, to control ourselves. And the Bible says that the, in the fruit of the Spirit, we need self-control. And you, you know what God often does? You know how God often teaches self-control? By, by allowing a frustrating thing to come into our lives again and again and again and again. Until what? Until we, we learn to put, put our own sin to death. Maybe it's, maybe it's people. You know, a lot, a lot of times we, we rely too much on people and not enough on God. And, and let, me, let me show you what God did in Paul, 
Okay, this is another case study, okay? So 2 Timothy 4, it's at the, at the end of 2 Timothy, it's at the end of Paul's ministry. And, and here's what Paul said. He's, he's, he's on trial. He's very, very possibly going to be executed. And he says in verse 16, he says, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Okay? That hurts, doesn't it? Have you ever needed something? Maybe it wasn't your trial. Like Paul literally is on trial for his life, all right? And none of his buddies show up. None of his friends show up. Have you ever had a situation where people let you down? Maybe your husband let you down. Maybe your wife let you down. Maybe your kids let you down. Maybe your friends let you down. Maybe your church let you down, right? Like, what, what do you do with that? You know what Paul does with that? He counts it all joy because he knows what God's going to do in it. Let me show you. Keep reading. Ready? Um, verse 17. But, he says, may, may it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So everybody abandoned him. Nobody showed up. It was, it was a hard thing in his life. What would what, that cause him to do? He says, man, I, I depended on the Lord in a new way, in a deeper way. He said, the Lord stood by me and the Lord empowered me and the Lord enabled me. Okay, now, what's that going to do for Paul's future? Keep reading. Verse 18. Or end of verse 17. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And the Lord, this is verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that cool that that's how a passage ends when it starts by everybody let me down? (laughs) Everybody let me down leads Paul at the end to say, God will never let me down. He's going to kick me all the way to glory. How did that happen? You see, for a lot of people, everybody let me down. Where's that end up? I ain't ever going back there again, you know. Oh, sorry, suckers, you know, bunch of hypocrites, you know. I ain't, I guess I can't trust Jesus, you know. He's a, he, uh, Christianity, I'm done with it. No, man, that's, that's not what happened to Paul. Everybody letting him down led Paul to a greater faith in Jesus and this indomitable hope of what was coming. That's exactly what James says happen right so what what does the bible say we've got a few minutes if you'll just let me buzz through some things what does the bible say that is often lacking in us that we need trials to supply okay let me give you and and, and i i don't know how you look at this sometimes that's a bad way to say it here's the reality you're going to face trials one way or another okay there's no way out of trials okay there isn't this option of, hey, I just don't want them. God, please give me this perfect life that nothing wrong ever happens, you know, and I never get sick, and I'm healthy all the way up into old age, and then a chariot comes from heaven and picks me up like Elijah and takes me away, okay? Like, that, that isn't, that's not an option, all right? So you're going to have trials, and so what James is telling you to do is to, to count it all joy, to face them valuing Jesus and what he's going to do in you above all else and what he will do is he'll complete what's lacking in you. So here's some examples of that. Assurance, okay? A lot of people struggle with assurance of salvation. Like, how do I truly know that Jesus is mine and that I am his and that I'm going to heaven? How do I truly know that? You, you, know, you know what Peter says? You know that through trials. You know that through hardship. You know that through struggle. Okay, let, let, me, let me read it to you. First Peter chapter 1. Let's see, I, I think I'll start reading in verse... Um, uh, six, maybe. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, notice the word necessary, 
you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, honor, and glory in Jesus Christ. You see, you see what he says there? What Peter says, man, when, when you go through hardship in your life and it just causes you to grab onto Jesus more, here's what Peter says. You know you got the real deal. When you go through hardship and your faith gets stronger and you depend on Jesus more and you learn to call out to him more, he says, man, you've got the real deal. And, and you know what Peter says? He says, that's worth gold. Like knowing that you truly belong to Christ is worth gold. I want to ask you, what, what would you say your normal reaction to trials is? Like, how do you, how do you normally, like, what, what is it, what does trials do to you? That's a great question just to ask yourself. Like, how do I, how do I face those things? Do you face them with faith or do you face them by falling apart? You know, do you, do you face them trusting Christ and grabbing onto him? Or do you, do you face them falling apart? I love uh, Habakkuk. Teresa, do we have that Habakkuk verse? I'll just be honest. I don't want to try to find it in my Bible. It's one of those minor prophets, right? Listen, listen to this guy. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's the kind of guy I want to be. That's genuine faith, right? Did, did you, did you kind of, in an agricultural society, did you hear what he's saying? Man, if everything goes wrong, if it all falls apart, if, if I have complete lack in everything, I will rejoice in the Lord. And that, that's genuine stuff. How about humility? I know none of us think we need it, but the Bible says it is so valuable. It is valuable for your relationships. It's valuable for everything in your life. James 4, 6 says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. One of the worst things that could happen in your life is pride, okay? And, and, and so, so how do we get pride? Or how do we get humility? Well, a lot of times it's through trials that God produces humility in our lives. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, that's prideful. To keep me from being prideful because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. If you remember, Paul had some kind of painful thing in his life, and what he, what he began to realize is, God, thank you for this painful thing. Because if without it, I would be prideful, which would ruin my life and jeopardize my ministry. But God, I, I thank you that, that you gave me this painful thing because it's produced a great dependence upon you. If you remember how the verse ends, he says, when, now I know that when I'm weak, I'm actually strong. Or how about the hope of glory? How, how about, how about the, the, the hope of what is coming for us? You, you know, unfortunately in America, most, uh, most places in the world don't, don't have this problem. In India, there is hardly anybody. There's hardly anybody in those Indian villages that's like, man, I just want to live here forever. This is just so great. But in America, there is, right? Because we, we got it pretty smooth for the most part. And there's this deception that, man, this life is all there is. Okay? But you know, you know what the Bible tells us trials do? Trials lift our eyes and, and wet our, our appetites for glory, glory to come. That, that's where that, that 2 Corinthians 4 comes in, where, where, where Paul talks about 
about the sufferings of this life. He says, though our outer man is wasting away, our inner man is re- being renewed day by day. Verse 17 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison. Paul's like, man, this, this hard stuff is preparing really awesome stuff. And, and, and you know what's true? You know what the Bible says is true? The Bible says that someday you'll look back on the hardest days of your life and they'll be but for a moment. This slight momentary affliction. There's this lady, her name's Teresa of Avila. I read her quote yesterday. And she said, from heaven, the most miserable earthly life will look like one bad night in an inconvenient hotel. Here's what Jesus said about that. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being is born into the world. I think delivering a baby is pretty hard. I've not done it, but I've watched it five times, and it seemed hard. It seemed painful. But every time afterward, there was nothing but joy in my wife's heart and eyes because of the blessing of a new life coming into the world. Jesus says, that's what these trials are like. That's what they're like. Um, the ability to comfort and care for others. There's lots of things. Our time is up. Um, but he, here, here's, here's what James is saying. He's saying we as believers can count it all joy. So this is very practical. So in other words, when you meet hard times this week, you can, you can count that all joy because of who Jesus is, because he's a suffering God who's entered into our suffering and accomplished all of this for us, and because we know that he is accomplishing really valuable things in our life through our suffering. Now, some of you, you're just maybe not there yet. And the reason you're not there yet is you're not convinced that Jesus is the greatest treasure. You're just not convinced yet that he's everything that you need. Let me encourage you with something. I I thought this was pretty cool. This guy that wrote this book, James, that we're starting, he wasn't convinced either. You see, James was the little brother of Jesus. How would you like to be that, Jesus' little brother, you know? Actually, probably be pretty good because he's, just, he's probably pretty good to him, right? Uh, he's, he, he's his half-brother, right? Jesus is born of a virgin. But Mary, Jesus' mother, married Joseph, okay, which had been Jesus' stepfather, if you will, or, um, and, and, and they had other children. And James is one of those other children. And in James 7, it says that when Jesus' brothers confronted him at the beginning of his earthly ministry, they didn't believe him. So James was one of those guys that did not believe in Jesus. But later, James would become the leader of the church in Jerusalem and probably one of the most prominent figures in the Christian faith. Now, how did that happen? Well, I can show you how that happened, all right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And it lists a bunch of people who got appearances from Jesus. In other words, who Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. And in verse 7... It says this, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Then he appeared to James. You know know what it was that won James over? It was an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And here's, here's what I'm praying today is that you would have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. If you're not there yet, you you're just you're just not on board that Jesus is actually the best thing. Here's what I know. If if you will if you will encounter him, you'll be convinced. You should, what do I always say here? You should always listen to the guy that rose from the dead, right? You should. And if you will encounter the resurrected Christ, 
I believe that you'll be like James and you'll be able to say, he is so valuable that I'm able to count it all joy even when I meet trials of various kinds. Let's, let's pray. Let's ask for help. God, I just thank you for this morning and I thank you for this hope-filled passage, God, that, that promises us that we can have joy even in trial. We can have joy even in suffering. We can have joy even in hardship. We can have joy even in persecution. God, thank you for that. God, we want it. God, we, we want to be these people who, who even in the most difficult of times count it all joy because of what you're doing through the hard things. God, enable us to, to embrace that, to grab hold of that. Father, we're asking again in Jesus' name, amen.